May is Fibromyalgia Awareness Month. It's important to raise awareness about this chronic and often debilitating invisible illness known as fibromyalgia. This month-long campaign is an opportunity to educate people about the symptoms, causes, and treatments of fibromyalgia, as well as to show support for those living with these and other related invisible illnesses. Through increased awareness, we can work towards better understanding and management of fibromyalgia and ultimately improve the quality of life for those who are affected by it. And now on to this week's episode. This is the last part of the three-part interview with Dr. Barry Prezant. If you didn't get a chance to listen to last week's episode, I strongly encourage checking it out. We discussed the signs and symptoms of autism in children. And on this week, we are going to be talking about signs and symptoms in adults and how one might go about to get that diagnosis, which can be a challenge. And why are we even talking about autism and the autism spectrum on a fibromyalgia podcast? It's because that many people who have autism also have fibromyalgia and chronic pain and other invisible illnesses. Dr. Barry Prezant is author of the book Uniquely Human as well as co-host of the podcast Uniquely Human. I wanted to just take some time to share some insights on autism from the book Uniquely Human, A Disability of Trust. Derek's reaction highlights a central challenge of autism. For the vast majority of people on the spectrum, autism can be best understood as a disability of trust. Because of their neurological challenges, autistic people face tremendous obstacles of three kinds. Trusting their body, trusting the world around them, and, most challenging of all, trusting other people. Dr. Prezant shares that a friend of his, Michael John Carley, an adult with Asperger's, who is a leader in the self-advocacy movement for autistic people, once put it this way, The opposite of anxiety isn't calm, it's trust. This insight helps to explain much of what makes all of us anxious, not just those on the spectrum, and why we react with fear and often seek ways to control our lives, surroundings, and relationships. It's just that these tendencies are much more pronounced in autistic people. What are your thoughts when you hear that? It makes me wonder about the diagnosis of narcissistic personality or narcissism. How many people who have been labeled with that might actually be on the spectrum, but their coping strategies to help live with a disordered world come across as having to control everything. When and when someone doesn't know they have the diagnosis, let alone their loved one doesn't know they have the diagnosis, this can lead to great misunderstandings, even marital discord and divorce. It makes me wonder how many relationships and divorces have ended due to a lack of awareness of the diagnosis of autism in 
one of their partners and also lack of diagnosis and lack of awareness by the person themselves living with autism. This may be compounded by rejection-sensitive dysphoria that occurs often in many people who are on the autism spectrum who also have ADHD, which often overlaps. He also talks about struggles with trust in the body. He writes, If a neurotypical person wakes up with a common cold, it's a minor inconvenience. Since you've most likely come down with a cold before, you have the perspective and experience to understand that your cough and runny nose are likely to last just a few days before you begin feeling like yourself again. But when a person on the autism spectrum experiences those same physical symptoms, she might react with anxiety in, what's happening to me? Why can't I breathe normally? Will this last forever? That response isn't so different from the way most of us react to more severe illnesses. Much of the stress of the disease comes from the physical changes that occur, the uncertainty of the future course, and that same question, will I ever be able to trust my body again? We are going to be talking about diagnosis of autism on this week's episode. Dr. Prasant shares more on the story of Michael John Carley. He writes that when he was 36 years old, his four-year-old son was diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome. After delivering the diagnosis, the clinician turned to Michael. Now, she said, let's talk about you. Within a few days, Michael, too, had an Asperger's diagnosis. His first response was shock. How had he lived three and a half decades without realizing he was on the autism spectrum. He was happily married and had maintained a successful career as a diplomat, traveling to such hot spots as Bosnia and Iraq. He was also an accomplished playwright, a star baseball pitcher, a talented guitarist, and a host on a local NPR station. At first, he hid his diagnosis, but the more he reflected on his life, the more it made sense to him. He had always felt that he did not connect with people. In his button-down private school, he was such a misfit that teachers perceived him as a kid with behavioral problems and suspected he might have serious psychological problems. Eventually, he transferred to a charter school with a more flexible alternative orientation. There, he flourished. I think so much of This diagnosis, as I'm starting to learn, is why wasn't this picked up earlier? It's because doctors didn't know about it back then. They didn't understand it. They wouldn't have thought about it. Autism had a very narrow definition 30 years ago. But now we're understanding as many more people that are on the spectrum. This so much overlaps with the diagnosis of fibromyalgia. Most of my patients have had the symptoms of fibromyalgia for years, if not decades, often going back into childhood, but they never were diagnosed, similar to Michael's story where his diagnosis was delayed. And when the diagnosis is delayed and the proper supports aren't there and the environment is not conducive to flourishing, it can lead to many problems, including pain and anxiety. If you can have a better awareness 
of yourself and how your brain and nervous system work. And also, if your loved one understands it, then that way you can have better self-care and other supports from your loved ones. Remember that while I am a doctor, I am not your doctor. All signs and symptoms should be discussed with your own individual physician. Hopefully, this podcast can be a starting point on your journey to live better with fibromyalgia and other related illnesses. And now on to this week's episode. How would an adult go about getting a formal diagnosis? Yeah, and and this is one of the most challenging aspects because it's expensive. So I just screened Scott Steindorf's film that's not out yet, that's being premiered next month. Scott sent me a copy to look at, and there were adults on the spectrum who are saying, so when I was assuming I might have a diagnosis of autism and I wanted to get a formal diagnosis, you get the waiting lists, you get many professionals who don't know how to diagnose adults who just have worked with children, and then you get the cost, and I think a couple of people in his movie quoted five to $6,000 to get enough of a complete comprehensive diagnostic evaluation to get that. Then there are people on the spectrum, and I guess there actually has been a study done on self-diagnosed autistic people who are part of the autism community, and they speak to many autistic people, that self-diagnosed autistic people who look into the factors of diagnosis are, and the numbers were incredible, it was something like 92% accurate in diagnosing themselves once they did get to a formal clinical diagnosis, which is quite amazing. And what I've heard is that's actually more accurate than the clinical community (laughs) in diagnosing young kids. So It's very hard to get in probably most places in the country. I talked to one of the um, child psychiatry directors of the long waiting list a year to get in for evaluation. It's hard for kids. Adults, I don't think there's probably that many people now that I'm aware who to send it to just because just there's not a fibromyalgia expert. There's no specialty. Nobody had, there aren't many primary care doctors um, who actually, that's what, where do you go with that? You're left in no man's land. And it's often people like me who just have a special interest in this, who then have taken it on because of a need and a passion to help people who are often stigmatized and help get better. And I'm guessing that in the world of this, I uh, had a recent patient who I've used the cat cue as that, and I've put in my problem list in the record, like if they're pretty strongly positive and a supportive history, that autism spectrum. And I just write, if in in childhood, we're not allowed as pediatricians to make it for educational attainment, start to recognize and you feel more comfortable recognizing this spectrum because then they get those extra res- potential to get more resources in adults. I think it's for that self-education and awareness. I think I'm doing an okay as far as that as a tool. And then tr- for me, being relatively new to this, where do I go? And I don't think there are, it appears that there aren't that many people who are therapists or psychologists that have gotten training. Is that fair to say in the adult world? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And just because you know about diagnosis in young kids, and if you follow the DSM criteria very strictly, you still might miss it in adults, especially adults um, who know how to mask 
and especially adults who've come up with a lot of strategies to deal with what might play out as more obvious symptoms and like hiding their stims, if you will, or being selective as to what they share, even though autistic people tend to be honest. This is also for many people who are adults with ADHD. The criteria used to diagnose children for the autism spectrum and ADHD don't really apply well to the adult world, and many people are masking those symptoms. Dr. Brazant talks about the role of autistic doctors in bringing this better understanding to more people. But the other thing that's happening is autistic doctors are stepping up. We have on our podcast, it's it's called Uniquely Human, the podcast. About a year ago, we interviewed Dr. Mel Hauser. She was on our podcast. She's fabulous. (laughs) And then a couple of weeks ago from Ireland, we interviewed Dr. Mary Dougherty, who's the founder of Autistic Doctors International. They not only realize, but they live the lack of accurate diagnosis in adults. So hopefully more and more autistic doctors will be able to have some input. And this is their passion. How many adults have been missed from Dr. Mel's interview, how passionate she is in developing a community of support. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Dr. Lenz. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions for future topics, I'd love to hear from you. You can easily text me through the link in the show notes. I look forward to hearing from you. Also, check out the starter pack. And now back to the episode. Yeah, so many, I think it's just, to me, it's blossoming in front of my eyes with these. And it's not taught and you have to have people to teach. And I think this is part of why it can take 17 years because you have to have enough doctors to have training to then treat your son so that they come through, so that when we have somebody who's coming in who comes across as odd, for a neurotypical term, who's been to all of these doctors, who's anxious, she's got chronic anxiety or social anxiety as a diagnosis, and she just seems different. Let's pause and ask some of these questions, and it goes back, what were you like as a child, what, right. what, what and, and I love, and this is a word, it's strengths and struggles. And when I look at what were your strengths when in elementary school, but what were your struggles? Because if you say, what were all the bad things they told about you at your conference? Well, what were the strengths? I was a really hands-on learner, this and that. How did you do with, and you start to see this pattern. I had a doctor who asked me how I tend to make more of these diagnoses, and it just starts with having an awareness that these are often coexisting conditions and asking questions that are from a comprehensive history, including the developmental history and milestones and what their academic career was like as a child in middle school and high school. Also asking about what their relationship history has been like. What has their work history been like? A recent patient of mine who She said, I'm a social worker, I'm strongly empathic, but that is intensely exhausting on me as well at the same time. And I look back in social interactions and how 
complicated social interactions are and how yeah. it can just be like for many have who have dyspraxia who are on the spectrum how we take for granted how somebody can throw a baseball perfectly in a right spot that's incredibly talented and we know there's ranges of that but just to catch a ball just to throw it somewhere in the direction is a highly complicated thing and similar to social interactions is this highly sophisticated, complicated things that happen by nature. And I like that analogy of when you said a different planet. I'm trying to, over the years, try to perfect my Spanish, but then there's these idioms that, oh, that means this, or how you say it in this culture, or in Argentina, or Mexico, or in Spain. These words mean different things and how you have to have that understanding. And then if you are on the spectrum where it's somebody who's a genius, who thinks everybody's dumb, you have to pause and say, there are other people who have a brain that works different than yours. Right. <laughs> and they have to be aware and recognize that. Any other last thoughts that you have for those who are listening out there who this may be newish to them? Yeah. One thing we didn't talk about, I'll just say this quickly, as quickly as I can. We've interviewed... And it may sound interesting for me to say this. We interviewed a lot of not, four non-speakers on our podcast. And most recently, Elizabeth Bonker, who is autistic. She doesn't speak. She was a valedictorian last year at her college. The YouTube was seen like a billion times or something, YouTube video. Um, the other thing I want to say is we really have to get away from that how well you articulate your thoughts is a one-to-one -one correspondence with your intelligence. And we've accepted that with a Stephen Hawking and with people with neuromotor issues such as cerebral palsy, but that hasn't hit autism to the extent that it needs to. And so that's a very important issue that we cannot equate a person with limited speech or no speech as obviously he's significantly or she's significantly intellectually disabled. That's not the case. But I, I guess my last thought, and, and you know this, and I think a lot of your listeners may know this as well, is it's all about community. It's all about pulling communities of support together. It's all about families. And the more we see a person who is supported by a community, and if possible, supported by a family who understands them, then we see people who have a much better quality of life, even though the predictions might have been very early on that they were not going to have a good quality of life. But you're absolutely right that a lot of doctors and hospitals are the first entry point for non-diagnosed people. And I've been contacted by the director of an emergency room in Phoenix, and she read Uniquely Human. She goes, all my staff in the emergency department have to read this because autistic kids coming in either due to psychiatric or medical issues are the most challenging people for us to be able to serve well and know how to serve. Yeah. Thank you. I haven't looked at all of the diagnostic testings. How valid or helpful, or I guess these are all tools, might be the CAT-Q um, as a tool for adults as, I guess, in that, in a, as a physician? Do you well, know guess, guess what I need to do? I need to look up the CAT-Q. <laughs> so, so do you have any recommendations for within a physician to maybe a tool that you know for adults? Things are changing so rapidly. I, I, some of the work that, that Tony Atwood has done out of Australia, especially diagnosis in women, I think would be very important. And Tony Atwood has uh, uh, been around as long as I have. And, as, but, and he has developed some tools, and I'm not recalling exactly them. He has an instrument called the CAT. I don't know if it's related to the CAT-Q. Okay. Um, yeah. 
But I think I've heard him speak, very good speaker as well, very interesting, been around in the world for a long time. Lastly, I highly encourage reading your book. I think it does such a good job of bridging understanding. I am, love history, actually, I and my podcast really love the history also of fibromyalgia. We've talked about neurasthenia. We're going to be doing a podcast talking about how John F.K. was also neurodivergent, had wow. chronic back pain, and had a lot of struggles, irritable bowel syndrome, chronic pelvic pain, with looking at his records and and going through people who've really done a deep dive and assessing wow. him. So you, you go, wow, a lot of people and help destigmatize that. I think part of this interview is to help destigmatize this because there are these misunderstandings. One of the biggest goals of this podcast is to help destigmatize invisible illnesses like fibromyalgia. And now that we are also learning, many people who have fibromyalgia and related conditions also are on the autism spectrum. What is a role that you can do? You can share this with others. You might say, hey, here's a really good episode or series that talks about the spectrum. I think some of this may apply to you. There is a proper framing and understanding that how everyone is uniquely human, that you are sometimes maybe good at one area, but also struggling in others. And... Sharing this podcast or other episodes can help more people learn about these insights and connections that most people are completely unaware of, just like Michael Conley, who we heard about his story earlier in the podcast. I'd really love to hear your reactions and feedback. You can email me at drmichaellens at gmail.com. And if you got anything out of this, if you can share this with others that will go a long way, not only for them, but to help support the podcast. Until next week, go Team Fibro! Fibro!